0: Welcome to today's episode of The Power of Reinvention. I'm Kathy Sharpross ross and we're here to talk with my guests about the dreams, the visions, and the passions that individuals have every day and dare to explore them. Whether it's business or personal, you're entitled to live the life that you want, and no matter the circumstances, you have the power to create success, fulfill your dreams, and live with passion. That's what I'm talking about. So dare greatly and happy reinventing, folks. Let's do this. Welcome. I'm Kathy Sharp-Ross, your host, and I'm excited for Brad Shakeman to be my guest on today's show, The Power of Reinvention. This conversation will be fun and we'll touch on business, marketing trends, reinvention advice, and tips from a veteran of the business brand and media world who has reinvented various parts of his life in so many interesting ways. Listen carefully as you'll pick up some fabulous insights from an Aussie gentleman who's been building brands and living his true north for years now. This show is inspired by my book, Reinvent Your Life, What Are You Waiting For?, in which Brad's story is featured in chapter 10, as well as my Reinvention virtual chat series, which launched right after the book in late March last year, and in response to my postponed book tour and events that I never got to do, hopefully will someday. I hope you'll enjoy today's conversation and walk away feeling inspired to reinvent and with a new sense of what's possible in your life. Welcome, Brad.
1: Hey, Kathy. It's great to be with you again. So
0: good, good to reconnect. I know. together. I love it. Well, that's I think technically it's the third because we even got to do an in-studio podcast with Mitch well, Slater right. from UBS back in the October before everything, you know, sort of changed I'm in the sorry. world. So we've, we've had a few good encounters and conversations, and I really appreciate your time and being here today to share some of what you've been doing um, with your life lately. And before we do, if you don't mind, I'd love to just introduce you further for those who are not familiar with Brad and what he's been up to in his world. I'm just going to give a little background on your bio. Um, Brad is a senior advisor of the Boston Consulting Group, and co-founder and managing partner of Rethink Food, which I cannot wait to talk a bit about today. He has a passion for developing category disruptive business models and marketing programs that challenge the status quo and build famous world-class brands. Brad is currently the senior advisor at the Boston Consulting Group, where he advises clients on all aspects of marketing. And he is also the co-founder and managing partner of Rethink Food, That is a social impact venture fund focused on supporting entrepreneurs who are building businesses and technologies that expand access to healthy foods and beverages. And for the past seven years, prior to that, he was the president at PepsiCo Global Beverage Group, and Brad led global category strategy, brand building, design, advertising, marketing, innovation, and branded content for PepsiCo's global portfolio of beverages. And Brad's career has just spanned such a wide range from fashion, financial services, entertainment, and packaged goods. He has held senior marketing roles at Ogilvy, City, Macy's, and Activision Blizzard. And I just have to brag a bit about you if you don't mind. But during that time, Adage named Brad one of America's top 50 marketers. The Australian newspaper dubbed him as one of the top 20 people shaping global media July 2015, he was named Advertising Person of the Year by the Ad Club of New York, and, I'm not done, and Ad Week included him in the top five of the most indispensable executives in tech, media, and marketing for two years in a row. Brad also sits on the board of the Humane Society of the United States Reporters Without Borders and is the co-chair of the board of the LGBT Center. So, that being said, there's a lot to talk about and a lot going on in your life. It's exciting.
1: There is a lot going on. It's uh, as my friends call it my my portfolio career. <laughs> I
0: love that. <laughs> so I'd love to take us back a little bit, if you if we may, um, kind of share a bit of your story, how you got to where you are today. Maybe you know hurdle over some of the some of the big. Long jobs, at great places that I just mentioned, but, you know, I think there have been some really profound aha moments for you mm-hmm. in your journey, um, and I think it'd be really interesting to share a little bit about that. Um, so
1: why don't we start sure. there? Sure. Um, I don't know. If it's going to be very interesting, but uh, my I'm one of those people who, from a very, very early age, I think like 16, uh, I always wanted to be in marketing and advertising specifically, so uh, i worked my butt off in in school and in college to get one of the few um, kind of entry-level roles in Australia that um, I'm Australian, as uh, you can tell by my accent.
0: Wait a moment, so am I, but you can't tell from yeah, my accent, <laughs>
1: Go on. <laughs> um, and so I worked in an advertising agency, Ogilvy and BBDO in Sydney. And then I noticed that all the senior people around me um, had all worked overseas. And so I thought, OK, I have to check that box uh, for at least six months. I have to leave Australia for six months. And uh, I tell the story now that uh, I left Australia for six months, 27 years ago. Um, and I moved to London and was working at Overview in, in London and then ultimately uh, moved to the headquarters in New York where I was running the American Express account. And then I kept getting bugged by this headhunter all the time to go uh, interview at this job at Citibank. And I'm like, I want to be a client, but I don't want to be a banker. And so I kept saying, no, 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 no. went on for months. And then finally, I, I just to shut him up. I agreed to do the interview and um, on the car ride over, he called me and said, Hey, I know you're on your way over the city. I just want you to know you probably aren't going to get the job because you're too young and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, well, why the hell have Mm. you been chasing me? And it was at that moment that I'm like, I don't even care whether I like this job, want this job. I'm determined to get an offer um, so that I can prove this guy wrong. I love that. That's
0: great motivation, um, isn't it? <laughs> I, I
1: learned from that um, that I'm, I am I met the people at uh, Citigroup, it was Anne McDonald uh, at the time, who I then went on to work with again at Macy's after City. And I, I learned a really valuable lesson there that it's not so much a company that you sign up to work for, it's a person and a vision. And my entire career has been defined by going to work for people with a vision so i left i was at Citigroup for seven years then uh Anne and i both moved over to macy's uh to help solve some of the problems of department store retailing we weren't that successful mm. i only lasted 11 months there that was not probably my best career decision or it was in a number of ways actually because um, i learned what not to do when you land exactly. in a senior position with a with a change agenda um, when but want- that can be equally as valuable
0: to have those 100%. moments where you actually and, really do learn what, yeah, what you I mean, don't learned, want to be doing or- i learned
1: from that that uh, many of us get now um, headhunted to join companies that have a change agenda and It's not the what that's the hardest part because mostly the companies know what needs to change. It's not the how that's the hardest part because typically the interview process is rigorous enough to uh, identify the people who kind of know how to probably get to where you want to do. It's the when. And Mm -hmm. if you move too quickly, you kind of cause this cognitive dissonance in the organisation where people are wondering why you're wanting to change and what the reason for it is and so on, and form armies against you. Um, and if you move too slowly, then you have CEOs and boards of directors kind of looking at you saying, well, you're not an insignificant hire. What have you accomplished in the last month? And so it's a zero-sum game every day. You've really got to calibrate kind of how the organisation can tolerate uh, what degree of change and, and just modulate your pace uh, accordingly. Yeah um so then i i went from there to work uh for bobby kodik at activision because he had an amazing vision to elevate video gaming out out of the 11 year old boys bedroom um
0: and what an amazing time i mean the years that you were there that was like really game-changing so to speak i mean that um, was something
1: we launched several iterations of call of duty which turned out to be the biggest uh, entertainment launch of all time, uh, bigger than any feature film movie. Um, And so that was an amazing time. And then one day I was walking across the parking lot to get a coffee and my phone rang um, and I picked it up and this very nice person said, please hold for Indra Nui. And Indra got on the phone and said, (laughs) hi, Brad, you don't know me, but I'm Indra Nui. And I'm like, well, indra said another way of course i know you but we have not yet met um
0: and for those who don't know who indra nui is and
1: indra is the chairman and ceo of uh, or was the chairman and ceo at the time of pepsico right. and so indra said i've heard a lot about you as well i hear that you uh, come back to new york i was living in l.a at the time come back to new york every weekend maybe we can have a coffee one week and i'm like sure um, so I called her assistant, thinking the next available time would be six months from now, and she said, "Well, when are you next here?" And I said, "I'm flying tomorrow." And she said, "Okay, how does five o'clock sound?" Um, <laughs> and so I was sitting in Indra's office the next day, and Indra just talked to me about this um, amazing vision she had to mm. transform PepsiCo from what is essentially what was essentially a kind of a sugar, water and salt company into a company with a more balanced portfolio, a more nutritious portfolio and a portfolio kind of better geared for not only growth, but where consumer demand was headed. Um, and I fell in love with that vision. And even though I uh, I loved working at Activision and loved working with Bobby Kodak, he's still a very close friend today. Um, I decided to take the leap and join pepsico and also spent seven years at pepsico um mainly evolving the portfolio as i said to a to a healthier option and then um, shortly before indra retired three years ago i uh i decided that i wanted to i'd spent my entire career in corporate america And uh, I wanted to try something a little different. And here's where I am now. So let me ask you a question about that moment because I think
0: that's where you and I really started to intersect as you were getting ready to leave. And I'm curious to know in the moment, like, what was it that indicated, like, what was that gnawing feeling that you had that made you feel that you were restless, that it maybe was time to leave corporate America? Because I think a lot of people listening to this can relate to that or have had that feeling but they kind of shove it under the rug. They don't deal with it. They don't listen to themselves. You were ready to hear whatever was going yeah, on it inside. It also
1: wasn't a decision to leave corporate America permanently. I may one day decide no. to go back um, into right. that world. I had a an amazing piece of advice that was given to me by a very close friend of mine because I was just talking about um, uh, kind of what I what I would do next at at PepsiCo because I'd spent seven years kind of building this momentum and it was now getting executed. And I was like, well, what do I do now? I can hang around and stay for the execution and so on and so forth, um, which would be fun. And I loved PepsiCo. I love the brands, I love the people, and I of course love Indra Nui. Um, or I could use this as an inflection point to see what else I could do that could make Mm -hmm. an impact somewhere else. And this friend of mine gave me a great piece of advice. She said, okay, in order to determine what you want to do next, uh, do a time and motion study on yourself. She said, carry around a notebook for a month and create three columns And document in the first column all the things that you do in any one day that you really get motivated and excited about. The things that you get in the car and drive home at night and think, wow, I'm really kind of um, excited about having done that. And I feel like I accomplished something and so on. That's the first column. The second column is the exact opposite. Write down those things that kind of sucked energy from you, things that you don't necessarily want to do but you have to do, that are part of your job, and so on. And then the third column was perhaps the most insightful. She said, write a list of the conditions under which you work the best. Do you like working in teams? Do you like working from home or in the office? There were days back then where we had the choice between those two things. <laughs> right. um, do you like travelling or do you like staying in... Um, Uh, in the States. Again, those were the days where traveling was a thing. Um, And and so that then became a blueprint or or a lens through which to evaluate other things to do. And obviously the goal is over-index on columns one and three and dramatically uh, under-index on column two. And that's what I decided. I decided in my column one was innovation and spending time with entrepreneurs that were making a difference in the world um, social impact was a big focus of mine. I learned a lot from working with Indra because that was a, a very key part of how she ran the company. Um, and I developed a passion for impact. And um, in my third column were things like, I like the flexibility of having more time to be at home and working from my beach house where I'm talking to you from now in, in Bridgehampton, or about going into the office when I needed to and, and so on. So. That's kind of led me to, uh, to where I am right now.
0: You know, it's amazing. I talk to so many people around this topic of reinvention and second chapters and aha moments, and I feel like so many people don't stop and listen to that advice, that column. Even in the book, I say to people, put the book down and do the exercises that are in the book. Don't just read it cover to cover and say, oh, yeah, that's great. I should do that. But you really took the time to do it, and I think it's so important that that catalyst moment where you were able to really crystallize for yourself what you valued and what was important and actually where you're spending your time, which typically don't align for most
1: people. Right. So I think it's also I'm also very mindful when I tell this story that um, I enjoy Privilege that not everybody enjoys. So, while I advocate this, um, at the end of the day, I'm a, a white male, and uh, the, there's privilege that comes with that that I'm very conscious of. Um, and if you don't have the various levels of privilege that that I found myself with. Um, you can't necessarily have the flexibility of, of making the decisions that I do. So I'm, I, I want to really caveat what I what I said, that not everybody is in as fortunate a position as I found myself in through nothing I ever did. Um, but that's also really important. Um, not everybody has the ability to reinvent themselves. Some people are uh, locked in Uh, roles that they may not be able to, for a number of reasons, be able to move away from. But I think the principles uh, are...
0: Well, I I think you're so right. And I love that you actually just brought that up because it actually opens the door to another part of that conversation. And the fact is that in that moment, you felt entitled to do what you wanted to do for you. Mm -hmm. And I think that's something that everybody no matter who you are what your background is what your socioeconomic situation is everybody's entitled to live the life that they want whether or not they can afford to pick up and leave a job that may not be up for discussion but we do have the right to nurture our souls in ways that could be meaningful and reinventions they do come in all shapes and sizes so you may have to keep that job that you're doing But what else are you doing in your relationships, in your spiritual life, with hobbies, with passions? You can go home and paint on an easel in the comfort of your own home. You can garden. You can learn a language. You can decide to ride a bike. I've got great stories that I've heard from people who, you know, maybe had a job that they had to stay with for whatever reason or wanted to stay with, but frankly wanted to find other ways to bring Joy or their passions into their lives, and there are other ways to create and you know really satiate our curiosity about other things in the world. No,
1: absolutely. And so
0: I love that you actually brought well, that up, I, and that we. I, I think kind the way I think about that,
1: Kathy, is and I, and I talk to kids about this. I often talk um, at the at at the NYU. Um, Sturm School of Management, and I always kind of address the kids at the end of the year. And I always start with kind of, okay, just by being in this institution, you have a level of privilege. Uh, just by being able to have a tertiary education in a fine school like NYU, you have privilege. If you happen to be sitting in this room and you're male, you have a whole other level of privilege. If you happen to be sitting in this room and you're straight you have a whole other level of privilege if you're in this room and you are are white you have a whole other level of privilege and if you're in this room and you're able-bodied then you enjoy uh, even more privilege you can't do anything to change that privilege that you have and nor should you feel ashamed of it there's nothing you can do Mm -hmm. to change it but what you can do is think about how you leverage that to the benefit of people who don't enjoy that privilege, and it's it's great when we talk about exploring your passions and your um, and spirituality. But if you're a single mom working three jobs to put food on the table, sleeping is um, is a luxury. And so we need to think about how we build a society in this the wealthiest country on earth um, with more wealth than any other country on earth how do we build that society that gives people that optionality across the um socioeconomic racial um spectrum and i think that is really um important
0: hundred percent and and you know, it's not a rhetorical question. How do we do it? And and it may be a good segue into some of the work that you're doing right now with Rethink Food. I mean, what you are doing, and I'd love you to share a little bit about that because it is such an extraordinary venture that is long-term in its impact. But if we don't get going doing the work that you're doing now, we're going to be in a lot of trouble. So would you like to share a bit about that?
1: Yeah, and so Rethink Food really... Um, came to me, uh, well, the, the driving force behind rethinking Food really came to me when I was at PepsiCo. And uh, part of my job as the president of the Global Beverage Group is I used to do market visits and we would walk supermarkets and we would look at what's on the shelf and competitive products and how our products were displayed and so on. And it was in my final year at, at, that I was at PepsiCo and I realized I'd done this all around the world in innumerable uh, countries but i'd never actually done it in new york city so i asked the sales force to pull together a route for me and we went around visiting stores and we started in brooklyn and we worked our way up the island across to the manhattan island and worked our way up and i recall being in um in whole foods on the upper east side in manhattan and there were just shelves and shelves of shelves of all of these remarkable, sustainably packaged, healthy food choices, hundreds of brands. And in the category of food and beverage, um, we are seeing an explosion of innovation, uh, particularly around healthier foods. And so you saw that presented on the shelf at Whole Foods. And then I went 15 blocks north to Harlem, And there wasn't anything that resembled, A, a supermarket. Um, People did their grocery shopping at convenience stores largely. And two, anything that resembled a fresh fruit or vegetable, let alone any of these amazing amazing products that I talked about. And you could conclude from that, well, then, wow, why have we got all these entrepreneurs who have suddenly decided that they want to be in the business of making rich white people healthier? And they of course have it. That's not why that exists. Why that exists is that the supply chains that these uh, these companies, new companies rely on, whether it's ingredient sourcing or the cost of ingredients, the, the type of processing that they use to maintain freshness and high nutrient density and so on, are so much more expensive relative to the big processed food companies that by the time they get on the shelf, Uh, the unit price is out of reach for a huge chunk of the American uh, population and particularly affected are people of colour and communities of colour. So I decided that that shouldn't be the case, that what we would do with Rethink Food is actually invest in the underlying technologies that enable these better-for-you food and beverage companies and bring those to a level of scale that brought their cost down, therefore the unit economics of the, 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 the goods down, so that they were so that access would open up and that they would be able to be sold in the communities um, uh, where where they weren't currently accessible. So I formed Rethink Food with an amazing uh, business partner, two, several business partners, one who um, came out of uh, Tiger and Family Offices, so she's a investment expert. Um, Rini Greenfield, and then my other partner, Amir Thompson, who uh, you may know better as Questlove, um, from oh, the yeah. Jimmy Fallon yeah. Show. And Quest is passionate about uh, food access, passionate about uh, food innovation, uh, has a long investment history in food, and we decided to join forces to uh, to form Rethink Food as a way to invest in these uh, food tech companies that were going to change the way we eat and drink as a society. That's
0: incredible. And are there a lot of new companies that are being formed that are gravitating towards you that want to partake in so this our, mission?
1: Our model is really to work with companies or to invest in companies where we can bring more value than just our checkbook. We mm-hmm. obviously write checks, but, um, our value is also in our form of uh, our expertise. And right. The strategic advisory experience. piece of
0: it would be massive
1: exactly. to them. Um, Amir has, uh, amazing sense of what's happening in culture has an incredible network of diverse entrepreneurs. Um, and so we bring all of that to bear as we work with our portfolio companies.
0: It's incredible. It, you know, it's such an important time. And I remember when you and I talked about this over a year ago, you know, just the ability to get in front of these problems after all this time and to really create that, that runway to build a better mm-hmm. future is critical. It's just such an important viable part of, of this food dilemma that is, you know, going on. So
1: absolutely i mean again you go back as we were talking about before the richest country on earth still has food deserts i mean that is unconscionable yeah when you have a significant proportion of the population that is unsure of where the next meal is coming from i mean that is just unconscionable and then the worst statistic of, of all of that is that we have that situation yet one third of the food we produce in this country we waste um, it get lost gets lost in the supply chain at some point it's it spoils um, it's discarded um, and so we also are seeing some really innovative companies that are um, working on solving that and if only we could deploy a greater percentage of the food we already produce um, and get it into the to the mouths of people in in the country who need it we would be significantly better off right. um, but there's a whole host of reasons why that's a complex uh challenge but there's also a a whole array of very talented diverse entrepreneurs who have put their mind and uh and life to uh solving for that
0: so the last year has has there been different learnings? Like when you were just talking about all the food that gets wasted, and I know that many of us are aware of the impact. You know, you look at restaurants and how much food in a restaurant every night goes to waste. But in the last year, restaurants are running in a very different way because of what's happened and all the close downs. And it's tragic because we've lost probably thirty percent of our restaurants in this country forever. Mm-hmm. Yet their behavior and what they've had to do during COVID would have changed. Is that sort of, you know, going to impact just this this whole food chain supply waste conversation they there been learnings that have come out of the last year? Well, and kids, so. kids that haven't been able to eat because they haven't been in school. How many right. children are actually on food programs that their only square meal that they get every single day has been through their school lunch. And what happens yeah. when those kids aren't at school? That's a 100%. major issue.
1: It is a significant issue. Um, on the restaurant front, I think um, one of the things, not just in our world, but across the board that we have seen during COVID times, across many, many industries, is uh, a reinforcement of that that old saying, um, uh, necessity is the mother of all invention. And I think that we have seen some incredible innovation happen um, in the food business because um, we haven't been able to uh, go to restaurants. Um, We haven't been able to congregate in groups. We haven't been able to, um, in the very early days of COVID, um, there were lots of food processing uh, you, uh, uh, facilities that had to be closed because mm. of COVID outbreaks. Oh, right, and so. right. that's right. And we've seen a lot of innovation out of that. I mean, we're about to announce, uh, uh, it's a little earlier in the week to announce it now, but we're about to announce an investment in a company that actually delivers meals, mm. um, but leverages uh, underutilised kitchens in local restaurants to prepare them. So they centrally deliver essentially develop menus and recipes and then instead of having to ship the meal from california to new york if that's where you're based um they actually have an arrangement with the local restaurant that actually produces the recipe packages it in their packaging brilliant i
0: love the the efficiency of that totally So, so that's
1: solving for yeah a multitude of things. It's it's and by the way, the vast majority of restaurants in this country are uh, owned by uh, diverse uh, people, immigrants, a lot of mm-hmm. them, uh, women, a lot of them. Um, although it's always weird when we put women in the category of being diverse when they represent fifty percent of the population. Yeah. Nonetheless, um, we so, so we are seeing that it has an incredible social impact on again creating a livelihood for yeah, people who are that. suffering uh two it reduces all the greenhouse gas emissions associated with transporting things mm. over long distances um, three it's kind of freshness of ingredients because they're not kind of warehouse they're typically bought fresh every day um so it's a it's a win-win-win as a as a proposition.
0: Wow. Is there anything that the general public could be doing more of? I mean, this is just such a an important issue. Is there are there ways well, I, that people can step up, do more, be more conscientious, behave differently, you know, are there things that we could be doing to to affect this this issue?
1: Um look, I think um being conscious of it is one thing, Um, and there's obviously a philanthropic element to that, particularly donating to your local food banks, um, volunteering at soup kitchens, all of those things that we've been doing are now more important than ever. Um, I think uh, also um, at the moment, though, it it is the conundrum of Price, convenience and uh, taste are the three things that we ask people to trade off. You can have two of those things, but very rarely three. And so I think um, it's hard for us to make a difference in this system um, without people from the venture capital world and uh, private enterprise coming in to invest in the space and we're seeing more and more and more yeah. of that as i said earlier the investment in food tech over the course of the last five years um, has been just exponentially yeah. um, growing so i think that's all happening um, but i think we just have to also be really conscious of how we eat i mean we're not necessarily this is not necessarily solving for the food insecurity issue in the country but um there are a lot of social issues in our country connected to food um and we need to really think those through it starts with education um where do you ever learn about food that is good for you versus less good for you or bad for you like where do you learn that it's not taught in schools anymore um And so how do you read nutrition labels? How do you make the right choices? What does a calorie mean? A great percentage of people in this country don't understand the concept of a calorie. And, I mean, a great example of that is when in certain jurisdictions in this country um, imposed on fast food chains or restaurants with more than one or five locations I think was the criteria, that they had to put calories next to the menu items. Oh, right. It had the absolute reverse effect because people didn't come in and say, I'm going to choose a lower calorie option. They came in and did a, a calculation between calories for the buck and they would go, well, why would I choose a salad for $6 and only get 200 calories where I could choose a burger for $4 and get 800 yes. calories? Okay. And so, so it literally had the, the reverse effect in many uh, cases. So again that comes back to education it comes back to um, to making better choices yeah. um, and, and and that's a systemic change that needs to happen in the country
0: Well let's let's hope that the work that you're doing with with all of these incredible people starts to have that effect. That we need. Um, It's an important conversation that we've got to keep having. I work with uh, one of our clients. My agency is Fuel Your Life, which is the largest privately held dietetics and nutrition company in Australia, and Mm -hmm. they are on a mission to educate and make sure that people understand, you know, really where and how food plays that role in their lives. So it's a conversation that I happen to be involved with. Very frequently at the moment, so I love I love what you're even sharing with me and what I'm learning and hearing and and just prioritizing in terms of what we need to be more conscientious of.
1: Yeah, we the food system. Uh, well, the food system is insufficient now, but in uh, twenty years, when we have to feed a billion more people with roughly the same amount of arable land available to yeah. us. Um, unless things don't change dramatically, um, we're gonna be in a lot of trouble. Yeah.
0: Um, you know, it struck yeah. me when you shared this with me when we we talked about this over a year ago. and it just kind of reminded me of the story of Joseph and the amazing Technicolor dream code and the dream that he had about the the seven years of feast and then the seven years mm-hmm. of famine, and that we had to prepare for those seven years of famine. So that just kind of like really stuck the like just the reality. Of that that we just can't go along every day and not do something about it at this right. point so yes. kudos to you and all the folks you're working with and i know it's not the only thing you're doing and there's so much else on your plate and things that you're involved with and you know organizations and charities that you support and that you champion and you're very vocal about all the right things and thank you for that because i just think it's so important that we have a voice and you have a great voice in terms of what you really support and you stand for. So, you know, from one human to another, I, I thank you for that. Well, you. Um, I got a fun question for you because we've been very sure. serious and, you know, I we're, know. we're, we're wrapping up, but let's <laughs> we'll have some probably fun. the
1: problems of the world in 45 minutes. <sighs> it's nets. exhausting, right?
0: So when you can have that amazing dinner party, and I know that you love to throw beautiful dinner parties. I've seen how you set a table on your social media page. Um, and you could have four or five really interesting people at that dinner table. Who would that be? They could be dead oh. or alive, but who, who would you love to have sitting around with that martini with you and having that fun conversation?
1: Uh, I would like to have... Uh, her Majesty the Queen, mm, definitely. Uh, who has lived multi-generationally through so much. Oh, uh, I would love to have her there. I would love to have Andy Warhol um, uh, because he was at the precipice of, of incredible changes that were happening societally, particularly in the LGBT community. Um. I would like to have Einstein because I'm fascinated by science um, and, and how things uh, work. And who would be a, thir- a fourth person? Um, probably I would choose somebody from the entertainment world, Kylie Minogue.
0: Oh, how fun. She's an Aussie, (laughs) another fabulous Aussie for those who don't know.
1: Oh, she's adorable. She totally is.
0: Speaking of Aussie Um, entertainers, Olivia Newton-John actually was, her sister lived around the corner for us when we were growing up. And so when Olivia was in town, she'd actually come hang out with all of us and, and the old folks, the parents would go out and leave us all with Olivia in charge. So I'd like to say that she used to babysit for me and I saw her once at a premiere of a movie. And I turned around and I said, you know, my parents are really good friends with your sister and you used to babysit us. And here we are in the middle of Hollywood. And she was mortified that I would refer to her as a, as a babysitter at some point (laughs) in her life. It was really funny. Oh,
1: that's hilarious. Yeah. Yeah, She's another Aussie living uh, here now.
0: Yeah. That's great. Well, I love that. Um, Anything special on that bucket list? when we can get back out into the big wide world and do what we love to do every day. And I know you and I are both like, just, you know, we're, we're over it. We're so ready to fly, but is there anything? Hello. See a little puppy. Oh, this down. is
1: my dog coming to tell me that, it's uh, dinner time. Needs- <laughs> um, look, it's so weird for me. It's just, uh, doing a lot of the things that, um, we took for granted. Um, yeah. I realized about myself on my going back to my three column list that I mentioned earlier. One of the things on my list is I love working from home, but I also love being in an office because I love being around other people and the serendipity of bumping into other people and sharing ideas and innovation and so on. Okay. And so I am really looking forward to going back and working with people in a physical environment. Um, I'm strangely for somebody who, one of the reasons I decided to leave PepsiCo is I was in a, on a plane for 85% or, or outside the US for 85% of my time. And now I'm kind of longing to um, travel again. So they're probably two things. And then I think the third and probably most important thing is I think we underestimate how subconsciously we're we're processing all of this Mm -hmm. how subconsciously there's this algorithm that is constantly running around our safety the safety of the people we love um how we're impacting other people by our actions um and i think that it's just going to be hugely um a huge relief that i don't think we even realize anymore when that filtering isn't going on in the back of our heads all the time, and that we are, we don't have to think twice about seeing friends, e- even if it's outdoors, appropriately distanced with masks. We don't have to worry about sitting outside in a restaurant and what what could happen there. We don't have to worry about will our will our kids be silent carriers and infect relatives and, um, and and grandparents and so on, we don't have to worry about any of that. And I think we've probably, because we're so used to worrying about that, it's, it's become embedded in our operating system uh, over the course of the last year. Um, I think when that goes away, I think we will just realise what a heavy burden that has, um, that has played on us for nearly 12 months now.
0: That is amazingly expressed, Brad, I, am you know, I'm a little overwhelmed by that statement because it is so incredibly accurate to, to know that and to understand that that is what we're actually dealing with. And, you know, I just texted my son who's 24, who works in a, you know, Saks Fifth Avenue here in Beverly Hills. And I texted him before we got on, on the call and said, I miss you, honey. Why don't you pop by later? And then I deleted it because I thought I can't ask him to pop by later. That's not okay. He's been around through, through around a department store full of people today. Yeah. So it's not okay. And, yeah, he can come by and we can say hello outside. And I just thought, you know, it, you're right. It is running us at every turn, and it will be a relief not to feel that.
1: And sometimes it's really rational and even um, even those of us fortunate enough to have access to information that um, and and the capacity to digest it and analyze it and cross-reference it but also it's irrational as well. I mean there's a lot of irrational behavior that we're all exhibiting and um, and once that kind of is relieved from us, I think we will be very surprised at just as i said earlier just how much it's been weighing on us yeah uh, over the last 12 months and what impact it's going to have on us moving forward um i don't think we are going to snap back into the way that we were before virus. i think we're going to be much more aware of our surroundings the impact of um of uh of uh washing our hands and um,
0: oh, you just think of every gathering so, um, that we've and been at in the, you know, Can Lions and A&As and every room we're in with our colleagues and our friends, our friends who are our colleagues and the need to hug each other and shake hands and just yeah. all of that, like the thought of not being conscientious of that and kind of, you know, pulling back a little. Oh, it, it It's, yeah, We're re- we're ready for a change and let's hope to God that the good work that's being done in the last year accelerates even further. Brad, I want to thank you so much for this incredible conversation. Is there anywhere if people want to read up a little bit more about Rethink Food and what you're doing that they can reach out and contact?
1: You can go to um, rethinkfood.vc online. You can reach out to me at brad at rethink.vc. And you can follow us at at Rethink Food VC.
0: Fantastic. Um,
1: so, uh, yeah.
0: Well, thank you for your wisdom and your insights and your inspiration in all that you're doing. I'm, I'm just really moved by this conversation that we had today,
1: so I'm thank grateful you for God. you being here. Terrific to see you again.
0: Again, thank you. And for those who want any more information about my book, Reinvent Your Life, What Are You Waiting For? or the virtual chats or the podcasts or anything else that we're up to you can go to the reinventionexchange.com everything is there if you'd like a little more information about our global marketing agency you can look at sharpalliance.com and I'm looking forward to seeing you all in the next week and Stay tuned for more fabulous conversations every week. And Brad, thank you again for being a part of today.
1: Thank you, Kathy.
0: Take good care. and We'll see you soon. Thanks for listening to The Power of Reinvention. If you enjoyed this episode, please head over to iTunes to subscribe, rate, and review the show. Wouldn't mind a five-star review. It would be greatly appreciated. Also, be sure to visit the reinventionexchange.com to share your reinvention stories, suggest a guest, join the newsletter mailing list, get access to my book, which is called Reinvent Your Life, What Are You Waiting For?, and discover fantastic bonus content with my blogs and listen into to the Reinvention virtual chat series. Don't forget to join me next week for another episode. Please share with a friend. And thank you for listening. Happy reinventing.